Amen. It is good to be back with you this morning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm so excited about uh, what has happened this last week. It has been quite the busy week, at least in the Carney household. Um, revival at uh, Southside Baptist Church in Stillwater was um, refreshing, all that it needed to be, and uh, God is on the move uh, doing things in the hearts and lives of these men there in Stillwater, and I'm, I'm so excited about um, what God is going to do in the, in the coming months by way of revival. I want to say, just so that it's out there, a great deal of appreciation to Floyd McKee, who filled this pulpit last week um, and shared with you uh, about the Baptist Foundation of Oklahoma. Um, Floyd is quite a character. I hope that you got that. Um, Floyd is one of my mentors. He has um, been a longtime family friend of ours, and uh, I, I love that man to death. I want to tell you, um, I, I don't know if he expressed any of the health issues that he had been going through. Um, he had received a uh, less than pleasing report about a week and a half ago, followed that up this last week, and uh, the Lord has uh, done some cool things, and so he had a good report from the doctor this week, um, and uh, we give God thanks for that. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, thank you for uh, entrusting us with your time. I want to be, uh, uh, I want to honor your time this morning, and so we're going to dive right in. If you are visiting with us, I, I would ask you, um, at the end of the service, we have a gift for you, um, and we'll have someone back there to, to hand that to you. Um, also, there's a card right there in front of you. If you'd fill that out and uh, let us know that you were here. That way we can follow up with you, um, see how we can best minister to you, then uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Put that in the offering plate when it's passed, and uh, we'll have a record of your visit. I want to talk about the practice of giving. Two weeks ago, I began a series called Given, a financial look at Luke chapter 12. And I want to continue uh, after we talked about the sincerity of giving, the heart behind giving in the first seven verses, uh, the first eight verses of Luke chapter 12. I want us to look this morning at the practicality of giving, the practice itself of giving. This will be your ABCs of giving this morning. And so I want you to make sure that you're taking good notes. If you grabbed a bulletin, there's a blank page on the back that says sermon notes, and you can begin to write your notes there. If you have your own journal, then praise the Lord for you. If you want to write right there in the uh, ledger of your Bible, then you are more than welcome to do that. But I do want you to make sure that you at least write down these principles and practices this morning as we discuss them. Now, I want to be honest with you. It's funny to me that we have a... Uh, a few visitors this morning, and it's funny to me that we have a few folks that haven't been here in a while this morning, and it's funny to me that on this day, I am my most uncomfortable preaching about this. I want to tell you, it is not fun for a preacher to get up and have to preach to people about money. But I do want to tell you this, that, that uncomfortability is quickly subsided by understanding why we give. It's because of the kingdom of God, it's because of the gospel at work that we even give to the Lord. But beyond that is a simple act of obedience that He desires of us. Something that we honor and glorify Him in. And if we are in the business of being Christian people, then that ought to be our foremost objective, to honor and glorify the Lord. And so this morning as we talk about giving, I am going to come to this confidently, trusting in God's Word to speak to us. And I hope that you will come to it humbly, understanding God's word and place in your life. 
I want to start out by reading Luke chapter 12, just a few verses. If you would, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. I want to pick out a few verses between verse 8 and verse 34 that will frame our message this morning. The first is Luke chapter 12 and verse 8. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. If you look at verse 21 with me. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And finally in verse 31. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your word would speak boldly to us this morning. God, I pray that you would find pleasure in our response. God, I pray that you would draw hearts to yourself this morning. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. In the first part right here in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 8, Jesus is exclaiming to the crowd a very, very familiar phrase. I say to you, if anyone acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father. And if anyone denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father. I find it very interesting that in the midst of what would seem like a financial discussion between Jesus and the crowd, Jesus turns immediately to the acknowledgement of God. And that's the principle that we will begin with. I told you this will be the ABCs of giving, and for that I will alliterate. First, we find acknowledgement. That is the principle that we see here. Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of who God is. Acknowledgement of His place in our life. Acknowledgement that He is the one in control. In the book, What God Thinks When We Fail, Stephen C. Roy tells a fictional story about a young violinist who lived in London many years ago. And although he was a superb musician, he was deathly afraid of large crowds. So he avoided giving concerts. But after enduring criticism for his unwillingness to give concerts, he finally agreed to perform in the largest concert hall in London. The young violinist came onto the stage and sat alone with a stool. He put his violin under his chin and played for an hour and a half. No music in front of him and no orchestra behind him. No breaks, just an hour and a half of sweet violin play. After the performance, the crowd rose to its feet and began applauding wildly. And they would not stop as they applauded. Even the critics who had put their pad down a long time ago just to listen to the violinist stood in amazement and in applause. But the young violinist didn't acknowledge the applause. 
he just began to peer out in the audience as if he were looking for something or possibly someone. And finally, he found what he was looking for, for relief had come over his face. And he began to acknowledge the cheers. Well, after the concert, the critics met the young violinist backstage and they said, you were absolutely wonderful, but one question, why did it take you so long to acknowledge the applause of the audience? And the young violinist took a deep breath and he answered, you know, I was really afraid of playing here, yet this was something I knew I needed to do. Tonight, just before I came on stage, I received word that my master teacher was to be in the audience. And throughout the concert, I tried to look for him, but I could never find him. So after I finished playing, I started to look more intently. And I was so eager to find my teacher that I couldn't even hear the applause. I just wanted to know what he thought of my playing. I looked, and in the balcony, he was standing and applauding with a big smile on his face. After seeing him, I was finally able to relax, and I said to myself, if the master is pleased with what I've done, then everything else is okay. And I want you to understand that phrase very quickly. If the master is pleased with what I've done, then everything else will be okay. It is the context for this entire piece of Scripture. The acknowledgement of God in our place of giving, in our place of finances, in our place of time, in our place of resource, in our place of talents. As we are given over to Him, the only thing that should concern us is acknowledging Him and who He is. You see, the principle is acknowledgement. And for us, when we get down to brass tacks, the practice is this phrase. This is God's money. I want you to understand the principle of acknowledgement. But I want you to understand the practice of understanding that this, all that I have is God's money. All that I have is His to do with what He pleases. All that I have is His to give and to take away. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. We understand that God is sovereign and that He is sovereign in the affairs of man. The only reason, dear sir, that you have the promotion you have is because God is at work in your life. The only reason, dear ma'am, that you have the wealth that you have is because God is at work in your life. The only reason, dear teenager, that you find success in the classroom is because God has given that to you. The only reason that we find success as families is because God has given that to us. Let us not miss the acknowledgement this morning that God is the one who has so freely given to us in His grace. How would we ever try to acknowledge anything other than Him? You see, the principle of acknowledging Him leads us to understand that it's not our money, it's God's money. And so what do we do with that? Well, I want to give you some practical things real quick. You know what to do with money. We spend it, right? Well, I want us to look at Scripture real quick and let it tell us what God desires of His money. The first thing, and you guys probably know this one, we tithe the tenth. 
we tithe the tenth. Leviticus 27, 30. Every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. We know Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 that tell us, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your harvest. And then your barns will be filled and your vats overflow with new wine. We know Malachi chapter 3, that's often a text that we preach out of when we preach on tithing. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says. How do we rob you, they ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way and see if I do not open the floodgates of heaven, and pour out a blessing on you without measure. But I want us to look real quick, because I think a lot of us take that Old Testament, and we say, well, pastor, I understand the idea of tithing a tenth, and it being your first fruits, but I also understand that that's an Old Testament law. I mean, you just read out of Leviticus. That's an Old Testament law, but I want to remind you of Paul's words to us in Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 21 where he says but now apart from the law the righteous righteousness of God has been revealed attested by the law and the prophets the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God they're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare the righteous one who has faith in Jesus. We all agree with Jesus in the New Testament, but what we find fault in is we find fault in the Old Testament, but rather Paul tells us this, continuing on, where then is boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By by one of works? No, on the contrary. By a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? No, he's the God of the Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then nullify the law through Jesus, verse 31? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so the Old Testament law of tithing is there for us. It's something that we should practice on a regular basis. I will tell you this. Speaking in confidence. Speaking in practicality. Speaking in honesty. I've never seen God. Forsake those who tithe. I've never seen it. I have ceased. To understand, try to understand, rather, why people would not give to the Lord. It's His money. We tithe the tenth. Secondly, we give the offering. We tithe the tenth and we give the offering. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. 
not one who is obligated or one that is responsible in a duty, but rather a cheerful giver. But I want us to look at Hebrews 13, 16 real quick that says, Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. They say, DJ, why would you bring that verse up? Well, we preached on this uh, quite last year, I believe, uh, out of Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to share with you that this text right here was something that was implanted in my heart a long time ago. Don't ne- neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. And I, and I comprehended this, and I tried to figure this out, and I tried to think it over. And what I found was this idea of sacrifices. It's different than when we think it is. You see, the word sacrifice here is the Greek word physia, or rather translated, offering. The idea portrayed here in Hebrews 13, this physia, is the same idea presented in Romans 12.1. I urge you, brothers, to present your bodies as living physia, acceptable to God. And the same in Philippians 4.18, but I have all and abound and I'm full and having received from Epaphroditus the things from you, a scent, a sweet smell, a thysia, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. And the same idea given to us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to a holy priesthood to give thysia, offerings acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We tithe the tenth and we give the offering because it's pleasing to God. The last thing in acknowledging Him in the practicality of knowing that it's God's money is that we surrender all. We surrender all. In recognizing that this is God's money, we come to the quick realization that we don't have much to surrender except for ourselves. Our time Our talents, our resources is what we have to offer. But I want to give you a sobering thought real quick. You know, we often do this thing where we're like, yeah, I'll give my money, but I'll just hold on to my time. Or maybe we give our time, but we just won't give our money. Or maybe we're like, well, I serve in the church because I I have this talent or this ability Therefore, I don't need to give. I want to give you a sobering thought this morning. God can take all those things back in a moment because they too were given by Him and could be used for His glory. God can take your talents. God can take your time. God can take your resources. If we won't surrender to Him, understanding that they are His, then God may well do what He wants with them. Which brings us back into Luke chapter 12, briefly before we move on. Notice the language of acknowledgement here. The understanding that God is the focus. If A man acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, he will be denied heaven. We have simply applied a financial principle this morning to a gospel text. Acknowledgement in our finances is 
fantastic and what we should strive for. And we should understand that it's God's money. But more than that, we should understand that the whole purpose behind all of this is the gospel itself. You may be here this morning and you may have never entered a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to communicate something with you this morning. It is not and will never be about the money that you give to God. Christian, you listen to me please. It is not and will never be about the money that you give to God. He is searching for Thysia, the acceptable offering of your entire life to Him. He wants you to believe on Jesus and trust Him as Lord of your life. To tell all who will hear of the glory of God. So that one day in heaven He can pronounce, This child of mine acknowledge that I am His and He is mine. And now enter into all that I have prepared for you. You see, no matter the world's cliches and rhetoric, the church and God are not after your money. God is desiring of the Thysia of your life. The acceptable offering of your life. Leads us to the second principle. The first principle is acknowledgement. This is God's money. And the second principle in giving is benevolence. This is not my money. That's a big word that we often use in church, but let me simplify for it. It is the act of giving to someone else. Deeply, it is the act of fulfilling a need in someone else. You see, we must understand that this is God's money and this is not my money. It's not mine to cling and hold on to. Jesus shows this to us in the next passage. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Isn't that like a bunch of people? A bunch of Christian people standing around, Hey, listen, Jesus, while you're here, can you go ahead and make him feel guilty because he owes me 50 bucks? That's just like us. We look around and we say, Jesus, I need you to come and fix this money problem because he owes me. I need you to come and fix this money problem because I've been slighted. I need you to come fix this money problem because I have an issue here. And Jesus responds, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? That was a rhetorical question that he asked. We know because there's no response. We know because Jesus basically puts them on the spot to say, listen, stop being about you for a minute. And let me tell you something. Verse 15, he then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he shared a parable with them. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Well, I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy yourself. Sounds like a good retirement plan, right? I'm going to store up all that my land has produced. And I'm going to live off of it the rest of my life. I'm going to go and I'm going to 
just enjoy myself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says this, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The idea of benevolence, that this money is not ours, is a hard one for us to understand because we know that we have things that we need in our own life. We have provisions that need to be made in our own life, but we also have a bunch of wants in our own life. And often the needs of others go unnoticed under the weight of our wants. And if we are to be good stewards, if we are to be financially responsible according to God's word, we must understand this idea, this principle of benevolence. We can't take it with us when we go. You guys have heard that cliche. Time and time again, probably. There was a man who worked all of his life had saved all of his money, and he was, he was a real miser when it came to his money. He loved money, more than just about anything. And just before he died, he said to his wife, listen, when I die, I want you to take all my money and put it in the casket with me. Because I want to take my money to the afterlife with me. I've earned it. I want it with me. And so he got his wife to promise him, with all of her heart, that when he died, she'd put all the money in the casket with him. Well, one day he died. And her friend was sitting there with her. And as he was stretched out in the casket, she, in all black, sat there with her friend with a box in her lap. And when they finished the ceremony, just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket, the wife said, wait just a minute. And she took the box from her lap, and she stood up, and she walked over, and she set it right in the casket, right next to him. And they locked the casket down, and they lowered it, and rolled it away. And her friend said to her, I know that you were not fool enough to put all that money in there with the man. And she said, listen, I can't lie. I promised him that I was going to put that money in the casket with him. His friend said, you mean to tell me you put that money in that box, in the casket, and it's gone forever? And she said, I sure did. I wrote him a check. The truth of the matter is, is that we can't take any of it with us when we go. It doesn't matter how much we've made in this life. It doesn't matter how much we've saved. It doesn't matter how much is left when our time comes. We need to do the responsible things to take care of our family afterwards, but we also need to understand that we just can't have storehouses full of produce and goods that are going to go to waste because we were not rich toward God. This is not my money. The idea of this parable that Jesus tells the crowd is found in that verse. Verse 21. It's solidified in the following verse 22. It's not, 
It's not being rich toward God to claim all of it for ourselves. And he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, or wear. The principle of benevolence and the practice of knowing that this is not my money should lead us to an understanding that Jesus' extension of invitation to the rich young ruler is not so far-fetched after all. What did he tell the rich young ruler? Go sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. I'm not telling you to sell all you have this morning and give it to the church or give it to some organization or give it to all the poor people that you can find. Rather, what I do want you to understand from this point that Jesus makes is that we cannot take a bit of our money with us. So why would we not want to honor the Lord with it? With our obedience and our offering to Him. You know why? Because the answer lies in the opposite of the principle. The opposite of benevolence is selfishness. Let me quickly illustrate this point with a funny story. Sunday school teacher was just finishing a lesson on honesty. She said, do you know where little boys go if they don't put their money in the collection plate? Yes, ma'am, a boy blurted out. said, they go to the movies. But you see, we often desire for our own, rather than seeking the good of others and or the kingdom of God. Which leads us to the last principle this morning. We must acknowledge God. This is His money. We must be benevolent, understanding that this is not our money. But we must build capital. Capital is the final principle that we find in this piece of Scripture. You say, well, that sounds counterproductive. Let me read for you. Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food in the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than many birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of them. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? I love that little text right there. I just got to say this real quick. Do you ever have that moment, maybe, maybe it was when your mom said it to you, where they're in the middle of a sentence and then they call you out for something like characteristic-wise, like deep within you? Like they're in the middle of a sentence, um, you know, like, uh, well, you know, somebody always does the dishes, of course, you never pay attention, but somebody always does the di- you know, it, it's one of those just kind of real quick things, that's what Jesus does here, he says, listen, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith, and then he continues on, don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your father knows that you need them, and here's the capital, Here's the bank, here's the storehouse of investment. 
verse 31, but seek His kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, not only do we have the principle of acknowledgement to understand this is God's money, the principle of benevolence to understand this is not my money, but we have the principle of capital to understand that this is the kingdom's money. Guys, listen. If this church ever gets in the business of doing anything other than sharing the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ, if we ever get in the business of any of that, I want to tell you, stop giving your money. If this church ever comes outside of the will of God for mankind to share something that is not the gospel or to lead people in something that is not discipleship, stop writing your checks, stop going online and submitting your funds. Listen, we have got to stop funding things that are not of the kingdom of God. got so many out there we've we've got preachers in 54 million dollar debt how ridiculous have we made this simple practice and discipline of giving it's all about the kingdom we give for the kingdom's work we give for the purpose of the gospel we give for the purpose of God being glorified Jesus being lifted up and men coming to know him We give for the purpose of people knowing God and making Him known. We build capital because we seek His kingdom first. We grow an inexhaustible treasure. Soul after soul after soul. Of jeweled crown after jeweled crown after jeweled crown. That we may lay before the Father in heaven. There was a rich man who was quite distressed over the prospect of not being able to take his riches with him when he died. When he expressed his concern to his priests, they prayed about the problem and they were given the solution. And so before he died, the wealthy man went to his bank and loaded a suitcase with gold bars from the vault. And when he appeared at the gate before St. Peter, suitcase in hand, St. Peter asked him, what do you have in your suitcase? Very proudly, the man laid it out and said, this is my wealth of gold. St. Peter replied to him, why would you bring pavement to heaven? I want you to understand, we have got to be careful about the things that we invest in in this life because they will have eternal consequences and rewards. We are investing in higher causes, in inexhaustible treasure in heaven. So what has your investment been? Faithful church member, you may have given out of simple obedience. 
for all these years, but have you ever given with the thought that this is going for the kingdom? Have you ever given with the thought that this is capital investment in an eternal reward? That's what it is. Years ago, there was a missionary in Africa by the name of Dan Crawford. He was returning from Africa to the United States one time, and to do so, he was leaving the inner part of the country where he worked to go out to the coast to catch his ship. So he would not have to make the trip alone. Four of the men to whom he administered walked with him. And as they walked, Crawford told his friends about the glories of the coast. He told them about the light that did not have flame, about wagons that did not have animals, about storing their food so that it would not spoil. And as he walked and talked, three of the men entered into the conversation. The fourth man, however, seemed strangely unimpressed with him. And after a few days, as they were sitting one evening, Crawford found it irritating that this one man did not seem at all excited about getting to the city. And so he said to him, aren't you eager to get there? I mean, don't you want to see all these things that I've told you about? His African brother responded with a word that I wish could be put into the school books of our nation, into the discipleship programs of our church. He said, Mr. Crawford, to be better off is not to be better. To be better off is not to be better. Church, I want to challenge you with those words as we seek to respond to those principles and practices. Acknowledgement. This is God's money. Benevolence. This is not my money. And capital. This is the kingdom's money. Let's pray together. I want to tell you this morning, Christian, you know how you ought to respond. Some here are faithful givers. Tithing is a discipline that you have honed and worked on through the years. And I appreciate the investments that you've made in the kingdom. But is God calling for more? Maybe He's calling for your time. Maybe He's calling for your talents. Maybe He's calling for some of your resources. What are you holding back from Him? I know there's Christians in the room who give when they feel like it. And while that is good, it's not what God calls us to. He calls us to acknowledgement of Him, knowing that it's His money and that He gives us opportunities to use that for His glory, for His kingdom. I challenge you this morning in that simple act of obedience, tithing, are you being faithful? 
Guys, I don't like to talk about this as much as you don't. But I want you to understand that this is God's word at play in our lives right now. Unbeliever, lost person, person far from God. Those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, however you want to label yourself, I want you to understand this this morning. God doesn't want your money, He wants your heart. He wants the Thysia. He wants the acceptable offering of trusting in Jesus as Lord and believing that He died on a cross and rose from the dead for you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and that's available this morning. In a moment, when I'm done praying and we stand for just a minute, you have an opportunity. You can come down, you can say, DJ, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. Myself or someone else will lead you through what that looks like, what that means to enter a relationship with Jesus. Christian, respond how God leads you today. Father, we thank you that your word is heavy on our hearts, that it speaks to us, cuts to the quick. God, I pray that you would, God, I pray that you would lead us in how we need to respond, whether that's in repentance of what we've held from you, whether that's in a physical act of giving as we take the offering in a moment, as whether it's committing to you more of our time, more of our resources, more of who you've made us in our talents. God, lead us in how we need to respond. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never in a relationship with you, God, that they would come and find you waiting for them, waiting for their Thysia. And God, I pray that you would be glorified above all else. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.